Hello there, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in their lives. So for those of you that are new, I want you to check out my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There you will find a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. And there's lots of print that you'll notice is highlighted in red. Those are all links to mostly YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing from many fields of science and archaeology that highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing here about. So check that out. There's also a video there a little lower down which explains in more depth what I am sharing here which is about the very source of reality that is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love and of life and of all creation. So these messages are for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. And that video I just told you about on ultimatemeaning.com, which is the big video that spans the whole width of the web page, explains about who the one true eternal God could only possibly be. I will just briefly sum it up. That this love, which is who God is, is so integrous and pure that it will not tolerate anything that is contrary to love. And let me define love, a quality that always freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because our any lesser choice, obviously as such, would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption. This is the defensive aspect of the love of God. God's love is, as it were, a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. That's represented in the negative symbol, representing an indestructible foundation from which can spring forth creation without corruption that can ever enlarge forever without end in greater and greater realms of pleasure and fellowship and fulfillment. This love is represented also in that negative symbol in cutting off all corruption and from that is formed the ultimate positive or the symbol of the cross which is that this love has always been in the infinite past beyond this time and space realm, has always been in God, to be able to take judgment upon himself for created beings such as us, which are created with the capacity to love because we were created with our own free will. We are the source of our own action. We are free will beings and also self-responsible. Yes, God loved you so much and is so great that he can communicate with this little speck of a planet 
With his creation, yes, he's that great. He's not so limited in your con some people's monotheistic concept of God that God couldn't come down and be a human being and communicate with man. No, God is great enough to do far more than that. Not only did he come down and communicate with us human beings in human form, for example, in Genesis 18, Abraham has three angels that appear like human beings that are very majestic standing before his tent door, probably about 10 feet away. He runs to them, bows before them and says, I want to make you a wonderful meal. In essence, he says that there. And he does, and he eats with them, and he dresses the lead angel, which would be God, as Yahweh, the most sacred name for God. This is before they went, the other two, to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And, of course, Yahweh went up back from there and didn't go with those two angels into Sodom and Gomorrah. But Yahweh is the most sacred name for God. Or some pronounce it Yehovah. That's the name used in the Old Testament in English. It's the word usually for Lord. And the word for God that is usually after that, like Lord God, is Elohim, meaning the Almighty, is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yes, for God to be Almighty also, he must be in three personages in order to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation as the Father, in creation as the Son, and filling all creation and omnipresence as the Holy Spirit. And only a love that is so great as this Creator, this God, this one true God, could be so great in his love that he would condescend and humble himself more than you, mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature on the cross, so that you could repent and receive forgiveness because he took judgment upon himself for you as a perfect substitutionary atoning sacrifice. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater than this love. Only this love would be worthy of an ultimate trustworthiness, trustworthy to contain unlimited authority, power, and life without using it in a corrupt way or being corrupted by it, thus indicative that he is the very source, the one true eternal God. So that's my introduction for those that are new. So I want to share with you the way I share these messages for those that have come to the saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, I share these messages by seeking to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God because it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. This is also explained further in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a pure heart, out of great reverence and love for God, we are filled with a spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that come forth from our mouth that are prophetic. It's out of worship that comes the spirit of prophecy that testifies to the reality of God as revealed in Jesus Christ, the one and only full expression of God into the creation realm. Who rose from the dead and was seen by over 500 witnesses. And four lawyers 
have attempted to write books disproving the resurrection and in the process were converted. Well, you can read about that in my flip book and many other things. I should also mention that I have a book on the internet titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which is a 368-page book, large size paperback, 6 by 9 which you can also get in Kindle on your phone. And it's well-written, and I know it's better than the bestseller I've read. doesn't have any star ratings or anything because no one knows about it because I didn't go and advertise the thing and do the proper, I should have probably, proper methods to get in the ball rolling. But I believe it'll eventually take off when more and more people read it because they will find it is such a really good book. Well-researched, highly referenced, with many links if you get the Kindle book that go right to exact spots in YouTube videos. So how I share these messages is to speak, seek to speak prophetically as the oracles of God. And one of the things I do to facilitate that is I cast lots to get two chapters that they would bear witness with each other. Those are two chapters using two independent random applications. Now today I did it a little bit better because there's many times when I get two chapters that for even the whole half hour, I only spent a half an hour meditating on these chapters and then I give the message the same day and many times immediately after. In this case, it's not immediately after, but the same day. But this time I was led, I thought, you know, I don't want just Old Testament. I want, so I cast lots in the New Testament. I got two chapters from the New Testament that confirmed and gave greater insight into the two chapters that were from the Old Testament this time when I cast lots on the whole Bible. So there's a lot there. And I've only spent a half an hour, and I don't know what I'm going to share here. But I do want you to know that I also have a song that I pick, that I seek to pick that I think is the best song that would go with the message out of a possibility of 1,257 songs, which I don't know most of them. I do often cast lots, but I'm so fuzzy that sometimes I don't want the one that I got. And maybe, just maybe, I will choose to sing both this time. But I wanted this one that I really like first to be played. And so we're going to do that worship song first. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, these are songs that are very high quality. I have on my website at loverealize.com all of these messages and also a whole bunch of worship songs that if you're connected to the internet and have connection to YouTube, you can put them up on your screen to play before your church because most of the modern songs today are so shallow with such shallow words in the meaning. These are songs that have great meaning in the words, beautiful music, congregational singing with them. Well done songs. So here's the one for today, which I felt was appropriate that I wanted to sing. I got to figure out where I hit it now because this time I see I kind of misplaced it but we will find that song, I'm sure, rather quickly in the next short while here. As I know what I am trying to see, here it is. I found it. So this is the song. And we'll start, first of all, I will minimize 
myself right now. Here we go. And then we will bring this up to full size and play this song. Oops. Life is not a 
How wonderful. What a wonderful worship song. What a victorious song. And I just, uh, I'm going to bring myself up to normal size here. Brothers and sisters, we can know a power and a victory in our lives that it doesn't matter what our circumstances are, how difficult they are. We can know this resurrection life, this power in the most contrary circumstances. I think of Brother Young, the heavenly man that uh, is nicknamed that. He used that name to avoid persecution, the Chinese brother that was terribly tortured by the Chinese Communist Party for ten over 10 years in China. You can find a link to him on my website, for example, at loverealize.com. I suppose I could even point out those links to you, but because I'm already up, I won't. You just go to loverealize.com or ultimatemeaning.com and there's a link to uh, some of the greatest men and women and men of God, men and women of God of our time. And there's three links, one to Brother Yun and another to um, Henry Groover. Um, these are people that have lived this abundant life in the midst of the greatest turmoil and suffering you could imagine. I mean, Brother Yun went on a fast for 74 days without food or liquid. Now, that's impossible to do in the natural, but he did it in the prison. And during that time, was terribly tortured, including being thrown into all the sewer where all the men's fecal and piss was. And his both legs broken with sledgehammers so he couldn't walk. And the power of God came on that man so powerfully that God came and visited many there with total healing. And then the Lord told some of the others prophetically to tell him that God was going to cause him to somehow walk out of that prison. And he did. The prison doors opened of their own accord. Suddenly he could walk even though he couldn't walk because both of his legs were totally smashed to bits by sledgehammer. He walked out of that prison right with guards walking by him, he was told they couldn't see him. They happened to open the gate just as he walked through in some instances. And I think in other instances, just like the Apostle Peter in the book of Acts, the prison gate opened. And he escaped to Europe and now is also ministered to many brothers and churches uh, in the United States. But he knew an abundance of life in the midst of all that. Death could not hold the resurrection life. The abundant, and he would even say, I'd rather be in a prison being tortured to know the abundance of this life that I can experience of intimate fellowship with God rather than being in some lukewarm church where everyone has been sedated to spiritual death and sleep because they're caught up in the temporal, mesmerizing baits of this world. The same with Henry Groover who has done amazing, mighty, fearless acts before God, a man that walked and prayer walked around the world. He pray walked right through Al-Qaeda territory. He was seeing people as he walked and praying on crosses with their skin flayed. They caught him. They put, brought him into a pray, pr prison and said, not a, a cave, and said to him, we're going to flay your skin and put you on a cross. And the presence of God came down 
And the men fled in terror, and they told everyone not to touch that man while he's praying and walking. He walked right through that territory, and he's done many amazing things, even more amazing than that. You should look up what Henry Groover spelled G-R-U-V-E-R in relation to Siberia and what God, how God used him there. Just a powerful, powerful testimonies of the resurrection power of God. And then you've got Heidi Baker on there, who's planted, what is it, 10,000 churches in Mozambique and has many times literally almost been martyred because people around her being killed, pastors having their hands cut off and being beheaded in front of their families and so on. And she goes time and time again into these dangerous places to minister because she knows the power that raised Christ from the dead swallows up all the fear. That power is filled with the love of God. And it is the love of God that swallows up all fear, the word of God says in 1 John, I believe it is chapter 4. It says perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Fear has torment. Or fear causes uptightness because basically what is fear? What is What causes uptightness? It is a consciousness that you are going to lose something to the point that it makes you uptight. You're going to feel pain? Well, that can cause fear too. That's natural. Because you're going to be experiencing the loss of comfort. But we can be so filled with the love of God that it swallows up all fear. And we find the love of God through having great genuine reverence towards God for who he is and the two aspects of his love that I described. First, the integrity of his love that will not tolerate what is contrary to love. And then out of that, the greatness of the mercy of his love outpoured in his love towards his creation, towards you as an individual, so that if you were the only one he created, he would have done that for you. He would have humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. Can you imagine that love and you you why would who would want to reject such love he wants you to know a life of ever enlarging pleasures of fulfillment in fellowship with him and his myriads of creations of multitudes of varieties of angels and many animals and in heaven you know the book i've read on the afterlife read it <laughs> i mean This is such good news. I want to shout it on the housetops to everyone that they can find the meaning for which they were created, that they can find forgiveness no matter how evil they've been, that they can be healed in their soul from all the distortions of corruption and of Satan and his minions of demons that have demonized people. So I have good news to share with you today. And I want to share what God has given me by the casting of Lot. I do not know. I think I forgot to bring my water, but I'll manage without it. Um, I'm going to just turn to the passages I received today by the casting of Lot, first of all. So here we go with that. Um, did I do this? I guess I did. 
Yeah. So I said that today, instead of doing two chapters, I did four chapters because I did have a hard time with, um, you know, seeing how those two chapters, they do fit together actually very obviously. They're, that wasn't hard to see. But the specifics and the details of how those two chapters could be preached on, I wanted more detail. And so when I did cast lots on the New Testament, I got very obvious confirmations that fit with those two chapters. So I'm going to just go and get some water and I'll continue with this message. So um, I'm just going to give you the little paragraph I have here first. And I say, and I just quickly wrote this out. Moses was deceived to sin, but had a relationship transcendent above his failure with God. And you'll see from uh, Numbers 27 what that, that's about. Likewise, the woman that had no father did not accept the sentence. The women that had no father did not accept the sentence of being cut off from their inheritance. This is revealed in Romans 7 and in John 12 with Lazarus and Mary and the death mindset of Judas and the Pharisees. Now that's just a briefing of what I was beginning to see as to how these chapters fitted together. Now in Joshua 19, I didn't bother to paste that in because it's basically describing the various tribes and their allotment of the land. Although it does make one interesting observation, and that is that the tribe of Judah had so much land that they didn't know what to do with it all. They couldn't handle it all. And so the tribe of Simeon was allowed to take that portion of the land that the tribe of Judah didn't have the ability to, with the population they had to steward over. And so it was given that portion that was beyond what they needed to the tribe of Simeon. So in Joshua 19, that's what you have. It's about inheritance. And in Numbers 27, it is also very clearly about inheritance. And so I do have some of that pasted here, and I want to read that to you. It says, And they stood before Moses and before Eliezer the priest, and before the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now this first part, you'll, you'll see is different. And he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together. No, and then, it's, uh, my mistake. By the door of the tabernacle of the congregation saying, Our Father, the, these are some women, they were standing before Moses. And this is what they say. Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family? Because he had no sons. Give us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father, 
And Moses brought their cause before the Lord, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad, speak right, thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And then it goes into all the details of that in the first part of Numbers. Now I want to point out to you how this fits together later as we go into the New Testament. But I will say this, that they could have had a mindset. Oh, our father died and he was a sinful man too. He was always condemning himself because he had a problem with this or that. Who knows what they meant fully by him dying in his sin. I guess they acknowledged that all people die not being perfect, having things that are still not perfected in their lives. But they acknowledged that, but they didn't relinquish themselves to say, oh, maybe our father was so sinful that we don't, and the reason these things are happening to us is because of the sin of our father and of our previous generations. Therefore, we better accept this, that it's just God's judgment upon us and that we don't, deserve our inheritance. They didn't have that attitude. They had an attitude that saw beyond their shortcomings, that had hope, that saw and believed that they could receive inheritance from God and that they had a right to inheritance before the Lord. We go on and we read in Numbers 27, further down here. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this Mount Abiram. Now Moses had before this become angry with the children of Israel because of the rebellion against the Lord, so that when the Lord commanded him to not... I'm not sure of the details for sure, but I believe it was to not strike the stone. Instead, he struck the stone out of his anger and says, you rebels, should I, do I have to smite this rock to bring water? He was angry because of the rebellion against God. But in this case, he was wrong because he had disobeyed the Lord. The Lord told him just to speak to the rock, if I recall the details right. And so we read here, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this Mount Abram. So because of this, the Lord said, You're not going to be able to enter the promised land, but just see it. So get thee up into Mount Abram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. That is the water of Meribah, and Kadesh, and the wilderness of Zin. And Moses spake unto Yahweh, which is the Lord in English, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Now Moses 
could have had the attitude that would make him feel so condemned that he had failed God that he would feel like he's unworthy to even speak to the Lord and to suggest anything to the Lord. But instead, despite the fact that he failed God and received judgment from God, he still had this close relationship with God so that the conversation was not interrupted with any feeling of dejection and condemnation and unworthiness. He continued to just commune with the Lord as someone that he was very close with, suggesting to the Lord God what he believed God wanted him to suggest in his heart to him, which was that there should be another leader to take his place. And he was glad to see that happen and accept what he deserved of judgment, but knew that that wasn't something that broke his fellowship and communion with God. And of course, we know on the Mount of Transfiguration where Christ was transfigured before the three apostles, um, that there appeared Moses and Elijah talking with the Lord about his soon coming crucifixion and resurrection. So God is wanting to say something to the body of Christ about this. And so I sought for greater insight and was led to Romans 7, 22 to 25. And then also to John 12, 1 to 6 with the other application. And here we read, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now he's not saying here that he's in bondage to the law of sin that is in his flesh. He is acknowledging that he is not in his soul abiding in that law of sin, which is in his natural old tendencies, but is rather abiding in the greater love that is in his mind that has been renewed by the Spirit of God. And that's very evident as we continue to read in Romans chapter 7 about that. And I don't know whether at this moment I have it open to Romans, but I will certainly see if I can get it open to Romans. There it is, Romans 7. And I just want to look and see, that's 22 to 23. And it's very evident from this passage of Scripture that if you go to the next chapter, Romans 8, it says, Therefore now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is condemnation if we walk after the flesh. 
if that's where our focus is. But we that have the Spirit of God dwelling in us learn to abide in the Spirit of God through a life of prayer and seeking God and living out a life of worship throughout the day and all that we do. We seek to be doing it as unto the Lord and in sensitivity to the Lord. And so we abide in the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from what? The principle of corruption or the principle of sin and corruption in my physical body. Are we going to be allowing our physical appetites to be the focus so that we are controlled by the temporal baits of this world that can be manipulated by powers that are above us, whether they are human beings or demonic powers of influence behind the things that we decided to find our temporal fulfillment in? What does it say in the Word of God in Jonah? It says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. What are we observing in our lives? So we are tempted at times. We all are. I am. I have not achieved perfection yet. Are we to seek to walk before him and be perfect? Yes. And it's false to say, oh, we'll never be perfect. We should never seek to be perfect. No, God wants us to love him with all our heart and mind and being and strength. He wants us to walk before him and be perfect. He commanded Abraham to do that. And he commands that in the New Testament too. But where are we at? I still have had times when I, because I'm single, I get my mind thinking of some lady I'd like to marry and I think maybe God's, that's the one he's got for me and then I start thinking about her and I can end up sometimes, not a lot, but the odd time I fail God. But what do I do? Do I say it's not sin? If I entertain thoughts and carry out a habit, that is sin. And for one, and there's charismatic teachers nowadays that say, oh, no, those things aren't sin. But that's not what the Word of God teaches. Because the Word of God is very clear that we are to bring every captivity, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Very clear in the Word of God. Christ said, even if you look on a woman to lust after, you committed adultery. He emphasized that our heart that the issues of life are out of our heart. That's what it says in Proverbs, that we are to guard our heart because out of our heart are the issues of life. So we bring our thoughts into focus, not on the temporal things, but on the things that are far more fulfilling ultimately than any temporal flirting pleasure that comes and goes. And that is on the things that are everlasting, that is a fellowship in, with God. And that involves experiencing the presence of God. Even in this present world, we experience his presence indwelling us in a very real way as we press into his kingdom. There are times when there's no feeling hardly at all and we wonder why God seems so far away, but we persevere through those things. And then we enter into another greater comforting presence of God and visitation of God. And it becomes more and more, in my experience, almost continual. Where I sense and can feel this invisible river of the Spirit of God 
right now I can feel this as I'm talking to you, a soothing, subjective, flowing presence of the Spirit abiding in me. And I often feel it now coming up into my arms and into my hands, which I haven't felt before, and I'm beginning to think that might be a sign that he's giving me a gifting in the laying on of hands for healing or something, because I've never I've noticed that happening in the last while, whereas I haven't in the past of my life. But this presence is so wonderful, but it involves us learning to come into a relationship that draws on this resurrection power, this living water, this life that can swallow up corruption and bring life and bring, bring people back from the dead. Yes, people can be called back. And I pray that all of us has experienced what Paul's request was for the church, that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe, even the power that raised Christ from the dead. Like I pointed out, Henry Groover, Groover spelled G-R-U-V-E-R, I believe, and Brother Young, the heavenly man, and Heidi Bigger. But these are examples that should inspire us all. And we go on here and we read about how it is through our identity with Christ on the cross that we can know such a victorious resurrection life. And I could talk a long time on this, but I want to go on to some of the other verses I received. And so here we are in John chapter 12. And we read this. This is after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so he's been raised from the dead and many people believed on Christ after they saw Christ rise, cause Lazarus to rise from the dead. And this was really causing the religious system to be threatened. This hierarchy that was set up that had become corrupt over time that was really just seeking their own interests and their own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. And so they felt very threatened because after that, what happened after this scene here is there's the entry into Jerusalem and multitudes are praising Jesus as he enters in on the donkey into Jerusalem. And they're saying the whole world has gone after him. What are we going to do? We're going to lose our kingdom. Basically, that's what they were saying there as you read it. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary, the one that was sitting at Jesus' feet, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. She had such a thankfulness for Christ because she acknowledged now that he was the Messiah. She knew more than ever before he was after him raising her brother from the dead, Lazarus. And she's just filled with thankfulness and love towards Christ. And so she takes something that cost her a tremendous amount of money and pours it on his feet, wastes it, so to speak. 
not literally because it was for his burial. She didn't know she was doing it for his burial, but she was so moved with love and thankfulness. She wanted to express it in a lavish and sacrificial way. Her thankfulness that she had her brother raised from the dead, that she was forgiven, that her brother was forgiven, that they were part of something that was going to go on forever. That is the kingdom of God. Then took Mary that and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This said he not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And so we see here again the mindset and the heart set that God is wanting among his people. That is unreserved in its love. And of course, Lazarus speaks also of, as he came from the dead, of us as believers having the grave clothes fall off us, coming out of our sleep and awakening to who God is in a relationship with him that is filled with love and adoration for God and the Old Testament, when God gave the Ten Commandments, his intention was, yes, to use those Ten Commandments so that Israel would be kept more pure from the corrupting influences of other nations and preserve that seed that would eventually bring the Messiah. But it was also, when he gave those commandments, his desire that they would not get their focus on the Ten Commandments. Because what does the word of God say? The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He wanted them to love him. He always spoke in the context of all the ceremonial laws and commandments to love God with all your heart and mind and being and strength. And he also emphasized strongly the importance of having a genuine reverence and fear for him. Yes, we're to fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. But that is a fear unto life. That is a healthy fear, like fearing the law of gravity. That is a fear that acknowledges who is your life source and points you towards life. And so God is saying to his people that he wants them to sow come into a loving relationship with him and not allow the letter that kills to have a foothold in our lives, to acknowledge that his great zeal and desire for us is that if we sin, to confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us, not to be so condemned and dejected that we feel that God is rejecting us and can't forgive us. There's that old hymn that says he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. I myself 
was very weak in the area of letting my own heart condemn me. And of course, then the enemy comes along and augments that condemnation to make it even worse. But the word of God says that if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. We need to be those that don't, on the one hand, deceive ourselves to say that something that is not sin or something that is sin is not sin. That is a terrible position to put yourself in. Rather, play it safe with God and acknowledge it as sin in your weakness. Don't shrink back in your weakness from coming boldly to the throne of grace. For the emphasis of being coming boldly to the throne of grace is in the context that you are feeling your weakness. If you read that verse in Hebrews, he doesn't want us to shrink from our weaknesses. If we have weaknesses where we tend to fall into sin, from the sin that so easily besets us, we are to lay it aside. And the way we lay it aside is to acknowledge it, to confess it, and to really know that, as it says in the Word of God, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You cannot come to God. It says, Him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. But you cannot come to Him if you don't have sorrow and repentance over your sin and a desire to repent and to be forgiven of that and to change. You're not coming to him unless you come with a heart that truly is repentant and desires to be delivered from those bondages. And God wants his people to throw off the grave clothes of death and also to throw off the condemnation of Satan. Joshua, the high priest in the book of Zechariah, I forget if it's chapter 9 or what. I'm not sure exactly what chapter it is. He's clothed with filthy garments. And Satan is there condemning him, saying, see, that's who you are. You're useless to God. And yet here he is. He's hungry, seeking God, but he's still being condemning himself and the enemies on top of it condemning him. And then the Lord comes on the scene and takes away those filthy garments and puts on him clean garments and a crown like the prodigal son. That's what happened to me. I had an open vision in 1975, and I don't talk about it a lot. But God, in my case, I was so condemned, I felt like I was being rejected like the children of Israel to go back in the wilderness in 40 years and die. I really believed that. And I thought I was like King Saul and this other brother here was going to take my place. That was the condemnation I was under. And God came on the scene and gave me an open vision. And there was three of my friends that were there when that vision happened. It was the only vi open vision I've had in my life. I'll never forget it. It set me free. What did God do? He revealed his holiness to me. I won't go into the details. I don't know if it's good to share this, this vision. I had been praying for a revelation of Christ. I had two great pressures. The hunger of great thirst for God, like Joshua, Joshua the high priest, but I was clothed with the filthy garments. The enemy was condemning me. And I was feeling totally rejected by God. Until he revealed to me that I was his son. 
vision, the whole room filled with light. I couldn't see the room anymore, except I could see the, the lady in front of me. I won't go into the detail. She was a very godly woman that fasted and prayed a lot and won a lot of people to the Lord. And it's too much to go into the details about, but I can say this, that I felt the Lord touch me on my head. And the first thing I heard him say was, you are complete in him. And then the next thing he said to me, and it was just like an audible voice if it wasn't audible. It was just as pronounced and strong. And he said, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I looked at my hands. And it was like I was looking at the hands of Christ. And yet I knew I wasn't Christ. But it was like I was so much part of him that it was like he was in me. And I knew I was his son. I let out a wail of laughter a wail that turned into a great laughter of relief that I knew I was his son. I also experienced being burned at the stake and going up in flames under God, and it was a beautiful, rapturous experience because I knew I was loving God and giving my life totally to him as a sacrifice unto death. And it was so real and it was so wonderful because I experienced his love flowing through me. I also saw his holiness, and I almost I felt like I was going to die if I kept looking at his face. His face was serious, and my flesh wanted to laugh, but he wasn't laughing. But boy, was there love in his eyes for me. He was looking at me like he was a captain that meant business, and that I was to stand in line in his army. That this was war. There was no place for playing games and being light and trivial. That's all I can say. It was wonderful to feel that love and to know I was his son and that I was forgiven and I have been cleansed and washed in his blood and that there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. The enemy was condemning me because I failed over this and I failed. And at that time, I was only in my 20s and I was struggling with lust and the desire for a wife. Here I am in 74 and I still don't have a wife. Although I pray someday I do, I would still like to have a godly wife and partner to do ministry with. But that's all in God's hands. I am at a place now where that's not an issue where I am so in love with God. And God is calling his people to come into a relationship where he can give them their full inheritance. And where though we may fail like Moses failed, we are not going to stop and allow the enemy to condemn us. But we're going to allow the Lord to break through like he did to Joshua and like he did to me and reveal to us who we are in God in a true and a real way that does not take away from our integrity and uprightness to walk before him and be perfect. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. It is another thing that God is wanting to restore in the last days. It is such a relationship with him that would cause us to overcome all things. And that means 
that we're willing to waste our lives like Mary out of such a love for God. That is what breaks the focus of the law. When it's talking about the power of the law in Romans 7, it is because a person gets their focus on performance rather than loving God so that we fulfill the righteousness out of who God is and out of recognizing his greatness of love towards us and of our privilege to serve and to love him for how great his mercy has been to us, which is so expressed in Mary breaking that alabaster or that ointment of spikenard and wash and, and on his feet. May we be willing to break the shell of pride of our own self-righteousness so we find our identity not in our righteousness, but in his righteousness. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.